forward to some, some warmer weather, though. It hasn't been too bad. Uh, hasn't been too bad, but uh, just again, thankful for each and every season of life, springtime, and just all that those things are remind us just of God's faithfulness, that God is, uh, God will, will guide the future as he has the past. And from a history standpoint, we also see that in the book of Daniel. And just we've been hammering that point home. That there's powerful men, powerful leaders, powerful empires that come. But yet, God is in control over all of those things. How can Daniel predict through revelation from God, predict what's going to happen before it happens? And the answer is simple. Because we have a God who knows the future because he's in control of the future. And as we're going to look at what I believe is futuristic event here now in verse Daniel eleven thirty six through 45, we don't have to fret over these things, right? Because we see, yeah, even though evil men and powerful men and powerful empires come on the scene, it's not taking God by surprise. God has allowed these things to happen. And we know as believers, there is a glorious future that awaits us. We know that we are victorious because we have a resurrected Savior, a powerful Savior. And that can bring and should bring great comfort uh, to us in a day and age of uncertainty. So last week we talked about these more world rulers that were predicted and all these things prophetically that were predicted. And then they happened, starting with how... Uh, Xerxes, the powerful Persian ruler who was going to be more powerful, more wealthy than the ones before him, came to power. We see that fulfilled in history. And we see how Alexander the Great, who in Daniel, we see multiple references to Alexander the Great. We see how that came to pass as was predicted. And then the constant conflict with Seleucus and Ptolemy and then everyone coming after them and how that that Israel's right in the middle of those conflicts and that's why this was such a focal point and then we ended with the evil ruler Antiochus Epiphanes that we also read about in Daniel chapter 8 and how that Antiochus Epiphanes uh, just wreaked such havoc and, and just brought such devastation upon God's people Israel and, and, and the God's covenant people, but yet how that he came to an end, that God eventually brought him down. And so now we pick up in verse 36. Now, some think that this is just continuing talking about Antiochus and that a greater fulfillment of it is found in uh, later on with people like Nero and Titus who came in and destroyed Jerusalem, ransacked and destroyed uh, Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. And, you know, I think there's great arguments to point how that those could have been even how Antiochus was even a type and picture of, of, of them. But I believe that, and especially as we look in Revelation, we look in places like Matthew chapter 24, I think that, in fact, Jesus' own words in Matthew 24, right? Where he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, we'll talk about what we think that that is, that, that it, it sure seems that there's good evidence to indicate that here in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 through 45, are futuristic. That they're talking about a coming 
world ruler that we have not seen yet. Now, can we see types of this? Absolutely. Of course, with Antiochus and all that Antiochus did. And I mean, for what he did, the, the abomination of the temple, of, of what he did in uh, the temple in Jerusalem, of, of course we see some fulfillment. And, and again, like I pointed out, like our brothers that hold to, brothers that hold to maybe a post-millennial view, a preterist view that thinks that much of this has happened, if not all of Daniel 11. And, and, and many of them think all except a couple verses in Matthew 24. Many of them think all of Revelation except the last two chapters have all been fulfilled. I personally don't hold to that view. I think it's a possible view. Um, and so I definitely call them brothers in Christ and they might, they might be right. I don't think that's the case. In fact, we're going to look at why we think it's still futuristic and kind of lay out the case for that, but then also talk about application. Because here's the thing, when we talk about eschatology, we talk about end times, and we, we talk about the return of Christ, and things like the tribulation, and the antichrist, and sometimes we can just have this uh, just obsession with trying to, you know, figure out every detail and start you know, just basically um, interpreting the scripture by the front page of the newspaper, as, as this Pastor Doug Wilson um, uh, so eloquently points out. And, and, you know, he's not entirely wrong. Like some people can do that, right? They can like, oh man, this is the Antichrist and this has got to be the, you know, the, the, the country from the East and it's, you know, it's definitely China and the North is Russia. And again, possibly, possibly, but let's be bold and dogmatic where the scripture's bold and dogmatic. Amen. And, and recognize that there is truth, that God has revealed things in his word that are clear. And may we not buy into this spirit of antichrist in our culture that tries to just blur everything. Oh, well, we can't really know. I mean, I know the Bible says this, but, you know, we can't really know that's what it means. And you see that constantly, right? We're bombarded with that. The spirit of Antichrist, where God's word is undermined, try, God's word is under attack, where things that are clearly taught in scripture, people try to cast doubt on it. And we don't want to do that. We can't do that, right? God's word's going to prevail. God's word will always prevail. But that being said, like when it comes to eschatology, the end times, there's really like committed and faithful Bible teachers that have a little different viewpoint on that. So I want to point out the difference between those two things, right? I'm not saying that there's not clear revelation and clear truth in scripture um, that we can stand on and be firm on, but on things that aren't as clear, let's be humble and let's be gracious. And let's not just look at the weakest points that other people make and then, you know, cast down their argument like it's trash and it's just ridiculous. Um, because I think with a lot of the different views of eschatology, there's some really strong points and there's also some questions that we're not entirely sure how to answer. So let's be humble, let's be gracious, but let's stand on the fact that God's word is true and that, that God has given um, us the information about these things that he's given to us. And I think that it can be healthy dialogue amongst other brothers in Christ that may have a different viewpoint of some of the timing of the end times. Amen. Does that make sense? I know we kind of hammered this out, uh, but I just, I want to be clear want to be clear because what you have today, you have, you have a lot of people taking clear teaching in scripture 
and blurring it, saying we can't possibly know what it is, right? Can't know that, oh, this has a different meaning. It meant this back then, but now it's changed. Now it's different. That's, that's what we see in progressive Christianity, right? We're just undermining God's word. But then on the other hand, we can be legalistic on some things and, you know, try to demand um, try to demand everyone interpret the passages exactly how we want to on things that maybe aren't as clear. So that being said, let's look at Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will. He shall exalt himself. He'll magnify himself above every God. And he shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper till when the indignation be accomplished. I think that phrase right there gives us indication that this is futuristic because he says the indignation be accomplished. That phrase, many Bible teachers think this is referring to really God's final wrath and judgment that is going to be poured out. And so while do we see God's judgment being poured out in things in, in, in instances with like Antiochus in things like the destruction of the temple in 70 AD? Well, sure, but it doesn't seem like it's that final judgment, right? But Daniel here is, is talking what I believe is a futuristic event. And it says, for that is determined shall be done. So now he's talking about this world ruler, right? Who's going to rise to power. I believe this is a final world ruler that is still yet to come that we know of and refer to as the antichrist. Now, the apostle John talks about there's many antichrist. There's many people that oppose Christ. There's many people that are trying to go against Christ, that, that the spirit of Babylon, this spirit of antichrist, it's even in our culture today that we see from this time all the way up till now, but it seems like there's a specific world ruler that's yet to come. And it says, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. This futuristic leader is, is, is going to have no regard for anyone or anything but himself. He's going to set himself up as God. It says, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his, or it says, sorry, let's read verse 37 again. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. Now, some have taken that phrase that this antichrist is going to be homosexual. I don't know that, that, I mean, it could be. I don't really think that that's what that phrase is referring to. I think it's just pointing out this individual is just so self-centered that he doesn't have the capacity to love anyone but himself. Others think that this phrase is referring to he'll have no regard for the Messiah. That phrase, the he won't, um, nor the desire of women, would be a phrase that would be used um, amongst, that was used amongst the Jews because they desired, women desired that they would be the one to give birth to the Messiah. Again, there's a few different possibilities, but let's, Let's be dogmatic on what we know, and that's this. This guy has no regard for anyone but himself. He's going to set himself up as God. Doesn't regard others. Doesn't regard the God of his fathers. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. The God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver, precious stones, and pleasant things. So this guy cares nothing about anyone but himself. He's going to worship the God of war. He's going to be fierce. And honestly, he's going to prosper for a while. He's going to conquer. 
I mean, we're going to read about, hey, this army from the south is going to come. And an army from, from the east, an army from the west. I mean, he's going to be bombarded, but he's going to prevail over them. He's going to be successful. And many think that this Antichrist is going to come out of a revived Roman Empire. And he is going to come on the scene. He's going to unite people. And then the people that oppose him, he is going to just obliterate and destroy He's going to come with satanic power. Revelation talks about how he's going to have a false prophet. In other words, he's going to have some religious person and system that's going to, to, to peddle his lies, spread his lies. Again, I'm not saying that there, we know who the Antichrist is or the Antichrist is even on the scene now. But I'm saying we see that spirit of Antichrist, don't we? People in the name of religion... That are, are, are peddling false lies. That's what a false prophet does. Right? A false prophet says they're speaking for God. But they're not speaking for God. They have their own agenda. They're, they're, they've created a God in their own mind. And they're trying to promote that God. And that's what we see all the time. Don't we? The spirit of Antichrist in our culture. This spirit of this false God, this spirit of you, you can just make up a version of God in your mind and worship that God. And we see that. And that's why we need to know the scripture. Amen. Because we need to filter things through the word of God. We need to recognize those lies that are being bombarded and they'll come across as if it's true. But it's not true because it's not what God says. It's not what the word of God says. But you see that the constant, as I mentioned, we just the, people try to blur all of those lines. And, well, we can't really know absolute truth. And I know the Bible says this, but that times have changed. And, and, and we need to change with culture. And what they're saying is, we want to be God's editor, not God's messenger. And what happens with that is, you make up a God, you make up a religion in your own mind... And when you make up a God in your own mind, it's a God that doesn't exist and therefore can't save you, right? We need to know what does God say. We need to know who God is through his word. So this Antichrist is coming on the scene. He's going to not have regard for anybody but himself. He's going to magnify himself above all. He's going to honor the God of forces. He's going to be a military power. He's coming on with great power. Verse 39, it says that he shall do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. In other words, he's going to be happy to promote the people that go along with him. You know, not everybody that has a platform has been elevated there by God. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Like God is in control. God is overall. And in the sense God allows them to. So yeah, you could say God elevates them in that sense. But the point is this, even though God is in control, even though God has allowed that to happen, even though God sometimes re releases that, that hand of restraint, right? You see that Satan and demons are at work. They have been since the beginning of time. They have been since Satan's fall from heaven. We see that in the book of Daniel. And we see that now today in our culture. You see people that are evil. That promote ungodliness. That promote an evil agenda. 
How is it that they sometimes can rise to prominence? Sometimes overnight. Why is it sometimes that the false prophets that are out there seems like they can have the biggest platform? Why is it that people peddling untruth and, and, and their false prophets in the sense of they're promoting lies, they're distorting the word of God? How come it seems like at times they've got millions of views on TikTok? They, their reels are going viral. And, and, and why is it sometimes they have the biggest platform and the most people following them? Well, because sometimes, sometimes they're being elevated through the power of Satan and demons. Sometimes they have sold their soul to the devil and the devil's giving them that platform. But we see here those that go along with them, he's going to be happy to promote them. Success here in this life isn't always an indication that it's God's the one that's giving you that success and promoting you. Now, in the sense, is God over all? Of course. But sometimes Satan is happy to give people that platform. Sometimes here in this life, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you're not going to have the pats on the back. You're not going to have the attaboys. You're not going to have the prominence. You're not going to have the platform. Now, if you have it and God gives it to you, use it for him. But you may not have that here in this life. And that's okay. You see this antichrist, he's going to come on the scene. He's going to rise with great power. He's going to have no regard for, for anyone but, but himself. And, and, and he's going to worship a false god. He's going he's to promote himself above all. He's going to promote those that, that go along with him. Verse 40 says, And at that time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships. And he shall enter in the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Now, do we know exactly who these nations are? No, but we have some pretty good guesses, right? It seems like the south, this is the region of, of Africa, maybe this confederation of nations that are going to join out of that region and they're going to come against him. Now, the Antichrist... As we saw, he's going to have his own confederation. As we read and look in Revelation with like these 10 kings that are going to be with him. But they're going to be puppets, right? They're going to have power that he's going to give to them because they're going along with him. So he has his own confederation of people following him. But there's going to be those that are going to rise up against him. And there's going to be just war like we have never seen. And I say that. In great seriousness and I have great respect because some of you in here, you have seen war. You have fought for this country. So I don't say that flippantly. But as we read about things that are yet to come, it seems like there will be war like what we have never seen. The Antichrist is going to come. He's going to rise to power and there's going to be great conflict. Great conflict. Kings of the south are going to push against them. The kings of the north are going to come like a whirlwind. And we think this is perhaps Russia. Again, I'm not trying to interpret the scripture through what we look at today. But let's just be honest. None of us really trust Russia, right? Like, I mean, these guys, like, I, I mean, I don't trust. Like, this very well could be Russia. This could be Russia. I mean, it, again, it seems like today, maybe 100 years from now when we're all with the Lord in heaven, 
right? It, 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 if Christ hasn't returned then, or with the Lord in heaven, it, you know, maybe Russia's irrelevant a hundred years from now, right? But it's like, okay, I'm not being super dogmatic that we know for sure it is. Like, you know, Bible teachers who I really love and respect a lot, some of them will come to a more dogmatic conclusion on that. I'm just simply pointing out it could be, right? But these nations are going to come against him. He's going to have his confederacy, but then other nations are coming against him. He's going to enter into the glorious land. Many countries shall be overthrown. So he's coming into Israel. Talks about Edom and Moab and Ammon, like this great conflict. He's going to stretch his hand upon the countries. The land of Egypt is not going to escape. Again, we think it's probably Egypt, but probably more than Egypt, right? It's they're going to probably have their own confederation of allies. And he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and all precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Could this east be China? Possibly, right? China's bragged for years and years that they could really have the largest standing army of over 200,000 soldiers. And again, as we look at modern warfare, is it really um, significant to have just superior numbers? Maybe not so much now, but again, it's interesting to think maybe that's a possibility. But what we do know is this, there's going to be great conflict during this time. During this time when the Antichrist comes on the scene, and I believe that before this tribulation time of seven years and the Antichrist coming on the scene, that the church will be raptured, that we will be in heaven with the Lord. And do we go through some of it? Do we go through all of the tribulation? Do we go through none of it? Well, I think we go through none of it. I think that there's a strong case that the church is raptured beforehand. But that being said, Maybe not. And that being said, even if we are before the tri this tribulation time comes, that doesn't mean that we're not going to face difficult days. It doesn't mean that we're not going to face persecution. It doesn't mean, I mean, for crying out loud, look, look, around, look at the world around us. L look at just the, I mean, and you could read these things in, 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 from articles in uh, Voices of the Martyrs, and you see, Many modern-day martyrs, they are being killed for their faith in Christ in, all of, in places all over the world. And here's the thing. There's no guarantee we're going to escape that. There's no guarantee we're not going to face persecution. But what's the worst that can happen? We suffer here in this life. We join the millions who have been martyred for their faith in Christ. It's like the words of the apostles who, remember when they were, were beaten, they were beaten and imprisoned for proclaiming the name of Christ, and yet they rejoice because it says they, they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And you know what? Maybe we will face great suffering. We don't have to fear that, right? Because God will sustain us. God will protect us. And it doesn't mean he'll shield us from any evil. Like, if he allows that to happen, guess what? The worst that happens is we die here in this life. And we're with the Lord for all of eternity. So I had a college professor. I don't know if he was exaggerating or making this story up. But he claimed someone came into his office with a gun. 
and threatened to kill him. And his response was, oh, you can't threaten me with heaven. And he ended up talking the guy out of it, and he put the gun down and called the police. That might have been a little exaggerated, right? Maybe it didn't go down just like that. But as believers, what happens? We suffer for Christ. We die a martyr's death. And then we're with the Lord forever. You know, th that sounds pretty good to be with the Lord forever. So I say that to say that we don't have to fear what's coming. We're victorious through Jesus Christ. Sorry, that was a little sidetrack. The Antichrist is coming. There's going to be great, great conflict, right? We read about this in Daniel 11. We read about in Revelation just the things during this tribulation time that are just going to be unlike anything that we have ever seen. It's going to be dark days, difficult days. Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24 about how difficult and dark that those days were gonna, will be. And that basically he says, unless those days were shortened, in other words, unless God only allowed those things to happen for a certain time, I mean, everybody would be wiped out. And again, Matthew 24, I believe the vast majority is futuristic. Now, are there some things in Matthew 24 that you could see like, oh man, some of this could have been fulfilled in, you know, with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and Titus the conqueror. Oh, sure. I think that my, my post-millennial post brother, like they make some really good points and a really good case. But as you read all of Matthew 24, it seems like I don't think all of these things have happened yet, right? And even when Jesus said this generation's not going to pass away until these things are fulfilled. Say, ah, oh, see this generation. Well, it seems like Jesus is saying the generation that starts seeing those signs, right? Not that generation that's right there that he's, he's speaking to. Um, but again, the point is this. I think that you can look at Daniel 11. I think you can look at Matthew chapter 24. And I think you can see that, yeah, there's a possibility that there's a, a near fulfillment of some of these things. But there's a greater fulfillment that's coming. And I think that's reasonable. I think that that view is taking the scripture serious in the sense of that, that yes, yeah, some of these things, we don't really see them being fulfilled. I mean, especially in Matthew 24, it says that, you know, that at that time that the angels are going to gather the elect from the four corners of the earth, going to gather the believers together. And it's like, man, I don't know that we've really seen the fulfillment of all of those things yet. I'm not saying that that the, the post-mill view, the preterist view doesn't have, have good points that they can make and try to explain some of those things. But I truly believe this is futuristic, right? Daniel's prophesying about a lot that's, that we can look back and that's happened. But I don't think we've seen the fulfillment of these things entirely. So what's going to be the end of the Antichrist? Man, he's going to rise with great power. He's going to come and he's going to unite some and he's going to destroy others. He's going to elevate the people that are going to follow him. He's going to give them a platform. He's going to give them status. He's going to give them riches. He's even going to enter into Israel. It says he's going to plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas and the glorious mountain. He's coming right between setting, setting up camp in Israel. 
between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. He is setting up camp. He is going to destroy, devour. He's going to look around. He's going to, he made, he's conquered everyone. Except he fails to look up. Because Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming in power. And he will defeat and destroy this Antichrist. And that's how Daniel 11 concludes. Yet, he shall come to his end. And none shall help him. He loses. That Jesus Christ is victorious. Like we've been hammering through the book of Daniel. All of these world leaders, all of these powerful men, all of these empires, all of these nations. They have their time. They have their moment. For some, it's a long moment. Right? For some, it is a long time. It's hundreds of years. But they rise and they fall. They come to an end. And the final world ruler that is going to come on the scene... He is going to have more power than any other ruler previously, but he will come to an end. He will be stopped. We read about in Revelation how that when Christ comes, when he returns, he's coming and he's coming with the saints in heaven. And that there will be war, but Jesus Christ will speak. And out of the word of his mouth, he's going to destroy the Antichrist and his armies. Because Jesus Christ is powerful. We have a resurrected Savior. A powerful Savior who is prevailing and who yet will prevail in the end. And as believers, we rest in that. Amen? We are not fearing and looking for an antichrist. We are awaiting Jesus Christ and his return. That Jesus is physically going to come again. He is physically going to return. And while we can have fun discussions over the different views of the timing of all that, here's what all of Orthodox Christianity believes, that Christ is coming again, and he's coming in power, and that he wins, that he is victorious, and that when Christ comes, there will be a new heaven, a new earth that we will be a part of. Amen? And that these bodies will one day die unless we're alive when Christ returns. These bodies will be placed in the ground. Our soul and spirit immediately will be in the presence of God. We know that and we can, we can be dogmatic and we can be confident of that. Right? We see multiple times in scripture where it talks about when this body is placed in the ground, our soul, our spirit is with God. The Lord. There's multiple references of that. There's multiple references that talk about the saints in heaven, right? That there are those with the Lord. And we take comfort in that because we know people that are there with the Lord. We know a lot of people who are there with the Lord. Seven years ago today, the Lord took my father home and I know he's with the Lord. And he's in his presence. Do we know exactly what that looks like with the soul and body being temporary, temporarily separated? No. I mean, we're content to say we're not exactly sure. But we know that the souls are with the Lord. They're at peace. They're comforted. They're at rest. They're conscious. They're, they're aware of, 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 of certain things that are taking place on earth. I love Paul's prayer in Ephesians where he talks about the worship of all the saints in heaven and in earth and it gives indication 
there's moments, there's times when we on earth as the saints in heaven, we are worshiping in one accord our great God. So we have comfort of that. But we know that when this body is placed in the ground, that there is a future resurrection. We're going to talk about that in Daniel chapter 12, right? Because there's a glorious resurrection of this body for the saved. But there's also a final resurrection of judgment for those who don't know the Lord. And that's a sobering thing to think about knowing that that day is yet to come. We'll talk more about that in Daniel chapter 12. But what do we get from all this? What do we take away from all of this of looking at, man, this future ruler that's coming and this powerful leader, this person that's going to that's gonna just wreak havoc upon the world and in and, and, and Revelation, just all of the crazy just things that are going to take place during this time. Well, I think there's several things that we apply and we look at. Number one is the most obvious Jesus is victorious over all, right? We're not fearing these things because Jesus is victorious. God's over them. God's in control of them. I'm not saying that there won't possibly be difficult days for us as believers. There will be, but Jesus is victorious. And we know that our God rules the future just like he did the past. If we haven't learned anything else from Daniel, Hopefully that point has been driven home that God is in charge of who is in charge that God is over all nations rulers and kingdoms Secondly God's people will be victorious. It doesn't mean we won't suffer Doesn't mean we won't go through dark days and hard times, but God's people are victorious. Why? Because we have a resurrected Savior. We have a powerful victorious Savior Thirdly, let's be reminded the spirit of the Antichrist is at work today. This spirit of Babylon is at work right now. And we need to know that and understand that. Right? I don't know who the Antichrist is. I don't know who this final world ruler is. I don't know that he's alive right now. I don't know that he's going to come on the scene in our lifetime. I don't know that. And I think it's foolish to try to be dogmatic of like, we know who this, this is. Many people have predicted and they've been wrong. And I don't blame them for some of their predictions. It kind of seems like, oh, that could have been, right? But what we can know is this, that the spirit of Antichrist is at work. In fact, the apostle John says, there are many Antichrists, those that oppose Christ. Though the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well today. And we see that in our culture. We are bombarded with that in our culture. Our kids are bombarded by that constantly. And may we stand for Christ. May we stand against that spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Antichrist that's in our culture today. May we be like Daniel. May we stand firm in a culture that is opposing God. And we stand for God. And we stand on God's word. In a culture that is trying to constantly undermine God's word. We see that. I mean, just scroll through Twitter. Scroll through the news. And you see just evil. Evil is, is out there. But here's the thing, right, right? There's some evil. There's some evil that we see that basically all of society joins with us 
and says it's evil. But there is so much evil today that we see that our culture and our world is just promoting. This is normal. This is okay. This is good. They're calling evil good and good evil. That's a spirit of antichrist. That is a spirit, a satanic, demonic spirit that is at work in our culture today. So what does that mean for us as we stand for God, that we stand against that? Know God's word. Live in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We're victorious through Christ, but God has called us to stand like Daniel. God has called us to stand against that spirit of Babylon, the demonic forces of evil that are at work. And may we have boldness to stand in this day, even if it costs us something, even if we suffer, even if we're canceled, even if we're looked down on. And I'm telling you that we as a church need to know this and we need to understand this. Do we want to be the light and the salt in our community? Absolutely. Do we want to have a good reputation with, with people that are without? Of course. I mean, we have to. That's biblical. But I promise you, there will be a day, and that day might be very soon. That day might be here now, where we as a church, that because we stand on the truth of God's word, because we stand hopefully loving, but if we stand firmly on what God says clearly in his word, there, there will be repercussions. There will be people that label us. There will be people that cancel us. There, there will be people that say bad things and mean things about us. There will be that. And let's be prepared for that. Again, it's not a us versus them in the sense of like people out in the world. But there is demonic spirits at work. They are at work. Joe talked about this a couple weeks ago in Daniel chapter 10. Like it, it's been like that since before even Daniel's day, during Daniel's day. It's like that now where, where Satan and, de and demonic forces are at work in our culture, and they are influencing nations. They are influencing people that are in positions of authority. And as believers, we need to stand for God, stand on the truth of God's word, because God's word is true, and because God is and will be victorious. And we as God's people will be victorious. There's a glorious future that awaits us. Amen. There's a glorious future that's coming. We're not scared looking for the Antichrist. We're living prepared looking for Jesus Christ. We're living in a way with, hopefully, with urgency, knowing that what we do for the kingdom of God has lasting and meaningful value. And look, Christ may not come here in our lifetime. Let's stand strong for Christ. Let's stand strong on God's word. Let's prepare our young people that are in here to stand strong on God's word. We don't have to have a gloom and doom approach. We're victorious because we serve a resurrected Savior who is coming again. And he's coming in power. Let's pray. God, thank you.